from a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei. The people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to Radio Taiwan International. I am Natalie So, and we do have a lot of interesting sounds for you up this hour. On Ear to the Ground, Andrew Ryan will present a fascinating sound from Taiwan. And on Jade Bells and Bamboo Pipes, you'll hear some beautiful classical Chinese music brought to you by Carlson Wong. But first, join us for Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. It's Wednesday, November 20th, and in the studio we have Jake Chen. Hello. Paula Chow. Hello. And I am Natalie So. Now, in officially less than two months, we're going to be voting for our next president and legislators. So that means election syndrome, election madness, election fever is in full gear here in Taiwan. We'll be telling you all about that. Also, we have um, a story about unfortunate trends in verbal abuse in families. And uh, Sunny Sun's statue has been erected in New York City. Those stories coming right up. Okay, so officially the candidates have announced and registered um, for the presidential elections. We see that President Tsai Ing-wen and former Premier William Lai are pairing up. Um, as well as other candidates that have announced last week. But um, this is leading to some effects on people's personal lives. Tell us more about this, Paula. Oh, it is what we call um, an election syndrome. Of course, uh, doctors are saying that that's not a former medical term. Election syndrome simply refers to you know, some of the symptoms that people develop before, during, and after elections. I wonder if it's only mostly in Taiwan or if other countries experience this. I think in the U.S., don't don't guys get pretty confrontational like during election seasons? That's true. Some, like with some friend, people do. Friends, so colleagues, and family. So it could happen. So I I think this should be considered a real official illness. You know, it could be. I th I think one day, like uh, I think it took us a number of years to uh, really realize that internet addiction is a problem. In a few years or decades, people realize this really is a problem every, I don't know, two, four years. And especially in Taiwan, because so we're a fairly young and very vibrant democracy. So people are very zealous about their political beliefs at times. Well, tell us more, Paula. Right. Okay, one um, guy, he's 85 years old. Recently, he saw a... You know, a psychiatrist, he told the doctor that, that saying that he watches political talk shows every day. And sometimes if the talk show host uh, says something good or positive about the people uh, he supports and he felt happy, happy. But if not, <laughs> and then he has symptoms like, um, you know, he lost his appetite, he is emotional, um, oh he, has he has trouble sleeping. And then, you know, and the worst situation is he and his family members, they often have an, an argument. An argument. Okay. Right. And then there's another guy who also developed a, a similar symptoms. He's 65 years old and he also has trouble sleeping and he's really emotional. And whenever he um, uh, spends time with his friends and family members, they always talk about, you know, politics and talk about elections. And he's really emotional. Sometimes he's happy. Sometimes he's not happy. So recently his family took him, you know, 
to the hospital to see a doctor, to see a psychiatrist. So one psychiatrist says, well, it's not a medical term. However, uh, the impact of the election news on, uh, on the public's mental health is no less than the impact of the, of the 2008 financial crisis. Oh. The public. Yeah, it's equally serious. And one, a psychiatrist says, you know, some people are, are too, they get too involved. Before the election, they, they have uh, developed symptoms like anxiety or they're irritable. And after the elections, especially if the people they support lose the election, they will, um, you know, they have a, a sense of loss or they are, they feel sad. They, they are angry. So, these are all not very, it's not positive. So It's not healthy. Not healthy. So doctors are saying that, well, you know, you should at least um, give yourself at least um, 30 minutes, I mean, to relax before you go to sleep. And then oh. in general, those symptoms will, will alleviate um, after the, the election results. However, if they, some people div- um, continue to have that, those election syndromes, they should, you know, see a doctor. So I don't think people should be watching political talk shows every night if it upsets them. I mean, maybe they don't know that. I mean, they obviously he does know it. Except it upsets him, but some people do. Yeah, I, do I mean, know those some people, those, those, yeah. real, those talk show talking heads really get riled up. Yeah, I think that's their, their very opinionated. Yeah, it's probably their intention to well, get yeah. people riled up. I mean, yeah. that's part of how they become famous and make their you know, living, careers, yeah. right? Exactly. But then it's, it's it could be very disturbing, especially if you're on the other side, right? You're hearing. Things yeah. that you don't like to hear all the time. The difficulty I found um, since I've been here for uh, four years is that media in in Taiwan is so permeating. It is it, it is pretty difficult to avoid that altogether. You know, you go to a restaurant and then it you know that's playing that's on, on TV. That's you true. sit in a park by yourself. Somebody who comes to strike up a random conversation with you will like within five <laughs> minutes start a political <laughs> no. conversation. Oh, I, I grew up in Canada, and that was never a problem. You know, really, so, a lot more peaceful over there, huh? Yeah. They don't have electric, election stro- syndrome over there, do they? Like, like when it's this election, people do their research, they vote, and that's it. You know, they get it over with, and then, you know. So why is that? Why are people in Canada more, more chill about it? <laughs> it's probably the weather. You more know. rational. Well, you know, um, there's also been a survey, um, an online survey by Yes123, about how it affects people at work. So, oh, um, yeah, it's actually had an effect on people's jobs. Here's some interesting numbers. Um and these are not good numbers. 20% of employers actually probe into a job candidate's political leanings during a job interview. Is that legal? That's Ooh. actually illegal. So you could get fined between ten to 50000 U.S. dollars, uh, 30000 to $1.5 million ND dollars for discriminating against people at work due to their political leanings. But um, 10% of employers admit to doing so. So I guess it was an anonymous survey. <laughs> yeah, the reason... that's a lot. Yeah, 10% to be open about it, that's a lot. Yeah. I'm sure people who actually do that could be more. It's, it's like a lot of labor rights issues. You have laws and fines in place, but it's hard to implement them, you know. Right, you have to have proof, right? So yeah, do you have I mean, to record it or, or some kind of like... I mean, there was this one guy, and we have a video of him on our website that... He's like really um, a big fan of somebody, and he even dressed up as Captain Taiwan, and you know, okay. he likes really, I guess, a little bit too um, you know, in your face, yeah. Right. And so he had a job offer, but two days before, the uh, human resources said, you know, your job offer has been rescinded because um, your beliefs are different than that of company management. What? Lenient, oh. you know. <laughs> so he lost his job, yeah. Yeah, they don't even try to hide it, you know. 
Um, also, well, another trend is interesting is that um, people, a lot of people actually want to get part-time jobs during this season, about a third of people surveyed. So some people are trying to look for jobs as social media managers for candidates um, or other election-related jobs. So people are also very business-minded this time of year. <laughs> is it because the demand for those jobs are up? I'm sure there, are, there must be, right? They yeah. need people to design those campaign flyers. Right, or even, yeah, yeah they need, need creative people need and people who can write. Sure. Yeah, they need people who can like, create. Some people are creating these little caricatures, fun, fun cartoon you know, depictions of the um, candidates. So they're actually job opportunities. Um, but they're saying that This time around, candidates have announced their candidacy later, so there are less money to be made <laughs> by these part-time jobs. Guess how many people are planning to vote? Percentage-wise? Mm-hmm. Like among all voting adults, right? The yeah, we're talking about people surveyed. How many said that they're going to go out to vote? I say seventy percent. I think so, around, around that mm, Almost, yeah. about 66%. But the yeah. others are not sure if they want to go. Mm. They may not go at all, is or it, they haven't decided yet. Is uh, 66% historically low for Taiwan, or is it? Actually, I think, I think it's about normal. About, I think we have about 68% turnout, or so, which right. is quite high for yeah. um, any nation. But um, yeah, some people don't want to vote. Even if they don't, they get the day off, right? Well, usually it's on Saturday. It's right? on Saturday, but you know, some some jobs require workers too. They, 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 yeah. And also, what's interesting is that sixty-one percent of employers said they would give employees extra time off if they need to travel to go home. Oh, okay. To, so, to, to, vote? to vote. Yeah, isn't that nice? Yeah, I just hope they wouldn't discriminate against people. Yeah, really. <laughs> also, guess how many people got in arguments with other people over politics? Oh, I'd say over half easily. Over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the people surveyed, right? Yeah, survey. Said around, uh, well, 50%, yeah, half. Deeper, not that high. <laughs> 29%. Okay. Okay. And then um, 40% of uh, working people said they are really into politics. And 32% said it has affected their work. Like, maybe they get distracted at work. Mm. They're looking, I don't know, election news at work, or they're yeah, less motivated why. at work or something. <laughs> So, so election fever is quite intense here in Taiwan. It's a little over the top sometimes. But anyways, it should be over in less than two months, right? Yes. <laughs> Taiwan is a place full of voices, viewpoints, and stories. Hear them all here on Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan, straight from the source. disturbing figure about um, verbal abuse in families. Tell us more about this, Jake. Right. Uh, these are the latest figures from a survey, a recent survey conducted by the Child Welfare, uh, Child Welfare Foundation uh, based here in Taipei City. And uh, the numbers are, I'd say, not looking very good. Uh, roughly 32-ish percentage of people uh, in high school said uh, in some point in the past that they've uh, been subject to verbal abuse um, as a way of parental guidance. So not verbal abuse from their uh, friends, uh, classmates, or teachers, but from their parents. And uh, we have some figures as to... So do you know what they co constitute as verbal abuse? It means insults or... 
threats um, or right. Fifty four percent said uh, there are a lot of the uh, verbal abuse that are based on comparison. Like, why aren't you as smart as uh, he or she is? Oh, and yeah, that's uh, way too common. Right. Where thirty nine percent said, uh, you know, this is getting worse. They have heard things that question their intelligence or performance. Like, why, why are you this dumb or things mm. like that. And thirty eight percent have heard cussing. Uh, from their parents so oh. this is a strictly verbal abuse for certain some of the reasons behind what triggers the parents to behave this way and it goes without saying I certainly don't condone any of this um, children being disobedient the parents have also been surveyed so they said uh, you know uh, it's, it's 56% of the reasons and around 50% of the cases uh, is that when children don't get uh, good marks so yeah and around 40% of the cases is when children be, don't behave properly what's interesting is that the foundation has also part of the survey uh, in, in the survey the foundation also asked what the children's reaction was to hmm. um, verbal abuses from their parents and 60% said they reacted with anger Around 50% said uh, there's certainly a cross-section between the two, said they reacted with anger and sometimes also disobedience. Mm -hmm. And 23% said they resorted to self-harm tendencies. And that's oh. the worst cases because uh, not myself, but I've seen children who, who sort of were borderline self-harming. And that's, that's something that takes a lot of effort to, to fix, if ever. Um, so, yeah, the foundation certainly calls on parents to really be aware of their emotions before they talk. Because, you know, sometimes, I guess a lot of the cases, parents say that without thinking twice. And so the foundation said it's, it's of the utmost important for parents to think before they talk. And if they found themselves to, to have hurt the children's feelings in a certain way, you know, really find the time to sit with children to try to sort of make up some of that damage. Because that could... Uh, stay with a child well throughout his or her adulthood for a long time. Yeah, that's really sad. I feel like I don't want to stereotype too much. I don't know what it's like in Western families, but I think that Asian cultures, I think this may be a little bit more common because um, you have the tradition of the strict father and, and the hierarchy right. and people caring about grades and being, you know, obedient and filial I don't know. Do you guys think that's um, a partly a cultural thing? Yeah, I guess because, you know, Chinese Chinese parents have, sometimes they have um, unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of their children and also high expectations. That's right. Actually, I remember when I was doing the documentary about mentally ill teens. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I thought they were probably teens that were neglected. In Taiwan? Yeah, I oh. thought because maybe, you know, they were neglected so much that, you know, they became mentally ill. But actually, a high percentage was of, you know, very successful parents who had extremely high expectations and demands of their children. And they put so much pressure on their children that, you know, the children got depressed and, and had mental illnesses. Hmm. So they're coming from these, you know, white-collar, very professional families. Yeah. Different than what I expected. I was thinking maybe they're from... You know, low economic, uh, low you know, poor, yeah, low income families who don't have time to take care of their children, and you know, and things like that. But actually, it's from high income families who give their children too much pressure to perform. Yeah, because they're. Um, I think um, I've read uh, a report a long time ago that um, parents at least partially project their own successes and failures on children. So oh, if yeah. you, inadvertently, right? Yeah, like a lot of times without themselves being aware of that. So if you yourself is very successful. You feel like it's almost natural that your children should 
uh, right. And a, a if they're tank. not, you're kind of upset with them, right? Right. It's almost part of your own identity that's being challenged. So that's parents, true. Uh, also, I, w- I saw a, um, a presentation that said that students of high achieving high schools are at high risk. Um, just as yeah. much, you know, for like um, substance abuse, mental illness, they're at more higher risk than those of in, in average schools, put it that way. So anyway, um, unfortunately, this is an issue in, in Taiwan society, and I think many societies, not just in Taiwan society. Something to be aware of. So we have a new statue in New York City, and it's uh, Dr. Sun Yat-sen. Tell us right, about it. A new uh, bronze statue, because this year marks the 153rd uh, anniversary of the birth of Dr. Sun Yat-sen, which is the founding father of the Republic of China. And the Republic of China is Taiwan's official name. So last Tuesday, you know, on his birthday, um, his bronze statue was permanently uh, placed at Columbus Park in Chinatown in New York. Oh, wow. Right. And because that statue was actually given to the Taiwanese community by Taiwan's um, Overseas Community Affairs Council back in 2011. But it was, at that time, it was placed there temporarily. And then after, uh, I think the Taiwanese community worked for eight years. They won the approval from New York Mayor Bill D. Blasio, so he, in February of this year, he agreed to, to allow the, the bronze statue to be placed there permanently. And he also named the plaza where the, the bronze statue is located, um, named the plaza Zhongshan Plaza, which is uh, really? Dr. Sinesen's, um Chinese name. Right. Well, that's great. And then um, the mayor also said that um, the, this, the statue is similar to the the Statue of Liberty, because, um, you know, uh, Dr. Singh has conveyed the, the, his message to the whole world that he, he upheld freedom and democracy, and these values are still cherished, you know, today. Right. I mean, he helped overthrow imperial the rule, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, that goes along with democratic values. All right. That's great to know. And uh, thank you for joining us for Here in Taiwan today. Do stay tuned for Ear to the Ground and Jade Bells and Bamboo Pipes. For Here in Taiwan, I'm Natalie So. I'm Jake Chen. And I'm Paula Chow. See ya. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan.
The Sound of the Amis Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. It seems like everyone in Taiwan has a favorite food stall located down a tiny alley that sells the best dumplings or the best knife-cut noodles, and they love to tell everyone about it. It's almost as though people here love to talk about the food nearly as much as they like to eat it. One of the best places to really submerge yourself in this uniquely Taiwanese food culture in which people seek out foods to eat and discuss is the night market. There are treasures to be found there and a whole banquet of sounds to wash it all down. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's Ear to the Ground, we head to Shilin Night Market in search of some edible sounds. An ear to the ground. Eating is a shared experience in Taiwan, an integral part of communicating and getting to know one another. People don't necessarily break bread per se, but they do share communal dishes placed at the center of the table, and they dig into heaps of steaming food with their chopsticks. Business is also lubricated with piping hot cups of tea or with little glasses full of a strong, clear alcohol known as galliang. Food is also an integral part of almost every important rite of passage in Taiwan, from weddings to births to the completion of construction on a new house. Taiwanese people are some of the most hospitable people, too. They love to share seasonal foods with one another. They bring home treats they buy on vacation and invite foreign guests over for a Lunar New Year meal. But one of the most exciting eating experiences can be found at Shilin Night Market. Brightly lit stalls compete for your attention and for your business. And you can watch them prepare the foods right before your eyes. Most people tend to eat their way through the market getting an oyster omelet at one stall and a squid stew at another stall down the way, rather than eating a full meal at any one place. And when I recorded the following sound postcard at the Shilin Night Market, I used the same concept, recording some sounds of stir-frying at one stall and the calls of a noodle seller at the next. Have a listen to the sounds of this market, located in Taipei City, just as the sun had set on a busy Friday evening. Flashing neon lights beckon as the last rays of sunlight fade into darkness. A steady trickle of people widens into a stream. Soon the marketplace is full of shoppers milling about, browsing through everything from cut-rate t-shirts to household wares. A girl with a BB gun takes aim at a row of balloons. A tiny roller coaster carries a little boy, its lone passenger, in a solitary circle. And somewhere, at the heart of all the din and clatter of the Shirley Night Market at dusk, the wafting smells of Taiwan's famous snack foods entice hungry passers-by. Raging fires burn under walks and vats of oil. Sweating chefs whip up oyster omelets, rice topped with braised minced pork, and plates of crunchy, golden, stinky tofu. It's a scene that would make any homesick overseas Taiwanese weep. Wonderful foods from home, the tantalizing fragrances of local ingredients, and above all, the flavors that conjure up memories of days gone by. The caption on today's sound postcard, the clamor of a night market bracing for the dinnertime crowd. 
Again, that was a look at some of the sounds from the Shilling Night Market, which is located in the northwestern part of Taipei City. If you have any questions about this sound postcard or any of the other sounds in our series, Ear to the Ground, do send us an email. Send it to Ear to the Ground, care of Radio Taiwan International, P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, ROC. You can also send me an email at androo at rti.org.tw. With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan. The beauty of Chinese and Taiwanese traditional music on jade bells and bamboo pipes. Hello and welcome to this week's jade bells and bamboo pipes. I'm Carlson Wong, and on today's show, we'll feature Guqin music by Xie Dao Xiu. The first piece is a classic which you are familiar with. This is Wild Goose Falling Down on the Sand. It is said that. Chen Zhang of Tang Dynasty, that's from 618 to 907, or Mao Zhongmin of Song Dynasty, 960 to 1279, composed this music. So we are not sure who composed the music. Anyway, it is a very ancient piece.
Wild goose falling down on the sand, believed to be composed in the Tang Dynasty or Song Dynasty. But it's not yet certain whether which dynasty it was, but it could be certain that it had been collected in Gu Kang Qin rhyme from Chinese Song Dynasty. And next, we'll listen to a couple of cranes with a running spring. And this music was written to depict the nature, which has a couple of cranes and a running spring. It is said that the composer Shi Yang Xiu composed this music in. Song Dynasty that was between 960 to 1279, and he wrote a series of music compositions to express the lofty characters of Chinese ancient scholars. And again, you're listening to Jade Bells and Bamboo Pipes. I'm Carlson Wong. Today, we feature Qin music by Xie Dao Xiu. Xie Dao Xiu is the most famous Qin master in southern China, and he was born in Canton in 1940. Xie devoted himself to the art of Lingnan Qin group for almost 40 years. Qin is a Chinese musical instrument and is the most ancient instrument, which is said to be found in early Chinese Zhou dynasty that's between 1111 to 256 BC. 
This piece is a dialogue between Fisher and Woodcutter. Lives of Fisher and Woodcutter used to be a way of relaxation in ancient China, and they always lived in the mountains and depended on the nature. Thank you. 
dialogue between Fisher and Carter, and it depicts the lives of uh, Fisher and Woodcutter in ancient China. And they enjoyed the fine scenery of flourishing hills and green valleys with a river very much. So those people were praised to be out of the social relationship of interest and disinterest. And next, let's hear music of magic. The ancient style music was said to be composed by a Chinese famous philosopher named Zhuangzi in Zhou Dynasty, that's between 1111 and 256 BC. It had been seldom performed again before it was recomposed by the Guqin player, Xie Dao Xiu. Hopefully, you have enjoyed listening to Guqin music performed by Xie Dao Xiu. Thank you for listening. For your comments and suggestions, please write to PO Box 123 199 Taipei, Taiwan. 
And our email address is rti at rti.org.tw. Once again, RTI is short for Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening once again. And I'll see you next week. Until then, goodbye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.